0: So this morning we are looking at Matthew chapter 8. If folks with, good, folks with good memories will remember that a few weeks back we looked at some of the opening verses to this. And we did, of course, when Abigail was dedicated, we looked at verses 1 to 13 that day and looked a bit about what it said about Jesus. And um, this morning we, we're reading the whole of the chapter to keep some of the acts of Jesus that we've already looked at in context in our mind as we look at what else Matthew is saying in these verses. I want to begin with a question which I'm making rhetorical for safety's sake. Um, If I was to ask you who is Donald Trump, I wonder what your answer to that question would be. I would imagine if we were each to write down a, an answer to that question, I would get, some, I'd get a huge scope of different answers to that. Some might be complementary, some maybe less so. That would depend on our perceptions, our, our views on things, our political views and all sorts of different ideologies. It would all affect exactly what we would say in response to that question. Some of them are maybe ones we could say in church, others maybe we couldn't say in church. But there would be a variety of different answers to that question. Of course, objectively, the answer to that question is he is the current president of the United States of America. That is who he is. That makes him arguably the most powerful man or human on this earth. And what we think of that, I guess, depends on what we think of that person. But we get a variety of different answers because ultimately when it comes to asking that question, who is somebody? What is the authoritative source of that? Is it what the person says about themselves? Is it what others say about the person? Is it their biography at some point in, in time? Is it how we see them act and behave? It's... As you can see, quite difficult then to get an authoritative statement on what or who somebody is, other than, of course, the objective reality, which is that he is the President of the United States. And if I was to ask us, who is Jesus? I would be certain where we're going to get much more, much more positive answers uh, uh, or a greater volume should I say of positive answers but we would still have a variety of different answers from our experience and our walk with him or maybe we're at a point this morning where we don't know him as Lord and Saviour and of course we would have a different answer in that situation as well our answers might be our Saviour and maybe may our Lord and maybe the Son of God A friend, a gentle leader, maybe a radical revolutionary. So many different descriptions describe so much of who Jesus was and what he did and the impact that he's had on our lives as well. But the difference between asking the question of who is Donald Trump, where we struggled and strained to get an authoritative answer, to asking the question who is Jesus, is one of God's word. Because in the Bible we do have an authoritative answer as to who is Jesus. And this is one of the reasons that Matthew writes his gospel. He wants people, especially Jewish people, to understand exactly who the Messiah is and what he represents. And that gives us context and understanding for our lives as well. And things that we can base our understanding On who Jesus is. Because what Matthew is aiming to do is detail exactly what kind of Messiah Jesus is. Because of course the word Messiah, Saviour, it gives us a certain level of context and content. But it doesn't actually describe fully the person. The God that embodies that. And the kind of impact that he will have on those that these stories, these gospel messages tell us this morning. And of course on our lives. And the impact he's had upon each of us as we've walked with him and as we've known him. So, I want to look a little bit this morning at what Matthew says about Jesus and how that can be an encouragement to us in our lives and in the walk that we have with God. To look a little bit about what Jesus says to others, how he responds to the people who are kind of half heartedly looking to follow him. And the impact that some of his acts have on others especially the disciples. One of the blatantly obvious things that we can draw from that question of who is he, one of the most important questions any person could ever ask, who is Jesus? One of the most important things and one of the most clear things that we see in the midst of all of this is that he is powerful He is powerful. We see Jesus enter into situations that on so many levels would seem hopeless. The person with leprosy, for instance, would seem like a hopeless situation. The centurion's servant who who was dying. We're not entirely sure quite what kind of fever Mary's mother had. But that could seem hopeless as well. The boat, the storm that was about to rip this boat to shreds. Quite a bleak situation as well. The the healing of the two demon-possessed men, these were men that caused terror and fear to everyone about them. But one of the things that really struck me was that Matthew links in the this the idea of the suffering servant from Isaiah. He, he's touching in on Isaiah 53 verse 4 which says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He's talking about the kind of things that Jesus would take upon himself and that role as Messiah and that role of suffering servant. But Matthew links it really interestingly in verse 17 which is it was to take our illnesses and bear our diseases. He creates this connection with Jesus and what he's seeing Jesus doing, the kind of acts that Jesus is doing as the Messiah. He creates and he establishes a connection where actually what he realises is that Jesus cares beyond even sin. He cares for the effects that it's having on people's lives. And he enters into those situations and he seeks to transform them. He is liberating people from the situations that they're experiencing at that time. He's not one that says, I'm going to have you forgiven and that's my job. He's one that cares so deeply for the detail of people's lives that he enters into those situations as Matthew's connecting here and seeks to bring transformation, change and hope. Matthew recognises that the griefs and sorrows that Isaiah speaks of aren't exclusively sin. They're the effects of it as well. And that Jesus comes... To enter into this world, to enter into the lives of people, to bring what later he would describe as abundant life. To set people free from these things. And we see him do that in these situations. And we'll see it throughout the gospel, time after time after time. Jesus, when he experiences people in brutal and difficult situations, he enters into it and does something remarkable we see in Jesus one who's willing to use that power. If we pick up even from verse 14, we see that he heals jesus sorry, Peter's mother-in-law. He heals all the demon-possessed and all those who have diseases at that point. We're given a remarkable picture of the activities of Jesus and what he's doing. And it tells us that remarkably, when Jesus was doing his ministry that all all were healed every person that came every person that sought out the kind of hope that Jesus was offering as he walked on this earth they were healed they were set free from their circumstances at that time and of course we, we read these verses and we hear those words that's comprehensive all and our, ver- and, and our minds might go this morning straight to prayers that we've been praying for miracles. For people such as Graham not answered in the way we would like and maybe we would begin to wonder well what happened? Where's the, where's the disconnect? Why have we seen that in these verses? And then in, in, in our experience we're seeing something quite different. The reality is that in all of this stuff, especially as we continue to walk as followers of Jesus Christ, there's a level of mystery. We don't always fully understand why some things are answered in the way we would like and other things aren't answered in the way we would like. But as I asked that question at the start, what is a authoritative thing on a person we don't have one for Donald Trump other than... The description that he is president. We do have an authoritative description as to who Jesus is and the kind of things he did and can still in fact do. We can draw our understanding from his words and that leaves us with mysteries and difficulties. But Jesus is unchanging. So we see him reaching into these situations and doing remarkable things and showing immense power. And you have this situation when Jesus calms the storm. We have to realise that these fishermen were experienced. They knew this lake. They'd fished on this lake. They knew its temperament, the things it could do, that the seasons and how quickly storms could suddenly come on this lake and they could come incredibly quickly yet they find themselves in the middle of what's clearly a really really bad storm if their excuse me if their assessment of the situation is that their boat is going to be ripped to pieces and that they're going down then that's probably a, f- a very accurate assessment of it but with a plea to jesus and then as jesus speaks there is stillness immediately they're left in wonder because this situation which was so wild is suddenly completely tamed and I do wonder if part of that is because they're remembering that as God spoke powerfully in the book of Job one of the things that was stressed was God alone has power and dominion over the waves and over the winds And here we see Jesus displaying those same attributes here as he suddenly gets up and calms the sea. So we see him transforming these situations. Any encounters these two demon-possessed men. They were puzzled. Why are you here before the allotted time? They ask. They know exactly who he is. Son of God, they ask. Why are you here before the allotted time? They know that there is a time that's coming when the Messiah will come as king and as judge. It doesn't seem that they've quite understood that he's going to come in this form to bring liberation and to defeat sin at this time. But Jesus sends them away. They couldn't oppose Jesus when he speaks. Could you imagine how scary these two men must have been? As they stalked around, creating havoc, destroying things. In the other Gospels it says the chains couldn't hold them, they would break them. I mean, that puts the kind of teenagers that we all stress about in a completely different context, doesn't it? We stress about a bit of loud noise, we stress about um, the the, the different quirky things that they might get up to. But when you think about antisocial behaviour, this is on a totally different wavelength. They would struggle to know how to contain these men. So powerful, were they, but yet simply a word from Jesus. And... The whole situation changes. These men, these demons, sorry, are driven into the pigs, and the men are restored. What we see here is Jesus displaying power over affliction and suffering. He's shown power over nature and the natural, and he's shown power over the supernatural as well. He's showing that the person that he 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 is has power over virtually everything that we can comprehend. But we clickers not follow. It's not working. Oh, I went way too far. It was working, it turns out, and I hadn't caught up from my brain. It's showing us that Jesus has that power. He isn't weak. He isn't disinterested in the details of life. And life can sometimes, and the experiences of life can sometimes beat these things out of us. Jesus is interested in the details of our life. He is the powerful Messiah that is revealed in his word. And whilst that brings mysteries and questions we struggle to answer, I do believe that what the Gospels tell us about Jesus is a authoritative description of who he is. And I do believe we need to keep hold of that as well. Take note of the fact of how Jesus uses his power. He uses it to serve, to bring hope to transform situations. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and as he comes to earth, he isn't interested in a throne. He isn't interested in any of the shortcuts that the devil tries to give him because they were at times legitimate shortcuts. He uses that power to bring change. He uses that power to bring hope. He uses that power not just to defeat sin but also to move into its effects and bring hope in those as well. That's the saviour that we follow. He is mighty and he is powerful and he cares. He cares for every one of us as he did in these situations as he met these people in such awful and wretched situations. But that saviour also places upon people as well a call to follow. it's really interesting that as Jesus has a dialogue in verse 18 to verse 22, he has this dialogue about following him and people express this desire to follow him. He isn't one that sugarcoats what that might mean for people. Now if you think about today's day and age, we have PR agencies And advertising agencies help companies sell things to try and get people's interest, to try and draw them in and to make them believe that something is going to truly enhance their their lives. Jesus here as he speaks about the cost of following him, whilst of course the blessings are remarkable, he, he doesn't attempt to sell himself here. The first man says, I will follow you anywhere that you will go, which is a very brave statement to make for Jesus. And his retort is, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. That he has no home. And the implication being, of course, as well, that the disciples who walk with him are sharing in these experiences as well. They've left everything that they had. Where they're sleeping, what they're doing, how they're getting rest. None of that is really explained as Jesus continues on his mission. But there is this element that he is calling people to enter into the same experiences that he has. Whether they're wonderful and exciting or difficult and challenging as well. And another says to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And that sounds like a perfectly reasonable request. Let me go and fulfill my obligations. Because that's what it is. It was a cultural and, in some senses, a moral obligation as well. Even today, such abandonment would bring massive scandal. And back then, even more so, the obligations were very clear. Jesus says something so something that seems so harsh follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead is Jesus being cold and callous I don't think he is I think what Jesus is stressing is uh, that invitation to follow that call to follow is one that's urgent it's one in which he's pressing upon people that seek to embrace it that this is to be a priority And that is difficult. He isn't afraid to express how challenging that will be. He isn't afraid to say that that can bring potential scandal for the people as well. We're not told how they respond to this. We're not told if they decided to follow. We're not told if they turn back by Matthew. What we are told is that Jesus doesn't sugarcoat things. And in this situation as he's speaking to these men, he's willing to be quite honest about the potential cost of following him. The question these men would have asked themselves, and I guess the question that we often ask ourselves is, is Jesus worth that cost? Following Jesus is an adventure. But it also has its risks. He could ask us to give up things that we treasure. He'd ask us to go to places that we can barely pronounce to serve people much more vulnerable than ourselves. He asks us to put others before ourselves and that as well can make us vulnerable at times as well. And I think we need to be honest with ourselves as well about that part of what Jesus was like. That he isn't afraid at times to ask hard stuff from us. He isn't afraid to call us on difficult journeys. So that question of who is he is so important. Is our vision and view and understanding of Jesus big enough that when the difficulties come, we see him as worth it? The costs are varied and different. Yet Jesus remarkably promises us abundant life. I don't think that's always because life is easy and rosy. It's not because we're suddenly carted off to some Caribbean island or anything like that, as nice as that would be, especially for somebody like me who's always cold. But it's because we have him and we know him and we know that he goes with us. So there's a call to follow. But in these verses as well, we also see the faith to follow it as well. And I want to home in on the story of the coming of the storm here. I've always been fascinated with why in the midst of this, why, why was Jesus so frustrated when they come and wake him up? Why was he so frustrated? Is it because he, he, he was tired and he needed a good night's sleep and maybe he wasn't that much of a morning person? Why was Jesus so frustrated at that point? I mean, one of the things we can clearly understand and learn about Jesus from this is that he is very clearly a heavy sleeper. Because to sleep through a storm, that's quite remarkable. But here, here they find themselves in the situations where they're getting swamped by the waves, and they went and they woke him. Save us, Lord. For we are perishing. Why? Why was Jesus frustrated? I think he was frustrated. And why he asked that question? Why are you afraid, or oh, you have little faith? He asked that because the disciples, at that point in time, they'd forgotten who they were in the boat with. They'd forgotten all the acts, the mighty acts that they'd seen him do. They'd forgotten the healings and the power that he'd shown. And at this moment, they are simply plain afraid. And naturally speaking, that's quite sensible. This boat is getting torn to shreds. It's sinking. They're in trouble. Real, big trouble. I can relate to being afraid in that situation. I would be absolutely terrified. That is what they're feeling at that point. But they'd forgotten who was in that boat with him. So they wake Jesus in an absolute state. They're afraid, probably terrified, and probably quite bemused at the fact that he's still sleeping at that point as well. And Jesus looks at them bewildered and maybe a little bit bemused and maybe even a little bit sad. He asks that question, why are you afraid? You have little faith. And he asks that not in a condemning way, not in a patronising way, but I think in a way to draw into the reality of this situation that present with them is the Saviour and Lord. And he gets up. And imagine the scene for a second here. Let's just imagine the scene. You've got the wind battering around them. You can probably barely hear. They would all be shouting at each other. The rain is battering and the boat is getting rocked violently from side to side. They're probably struggling to stand. They're maybe holding on to things to try and stop themselves falling over the edges. The waves are chaos all around them. And to that they wake up Jesus and Jesus stands And heaven says to them, Why are you afraid? He rose and said, Be still. And instantly, instantly, there's complete calm. That's remarkable. The boat is stable. The wind is gone. Suddenly there will be silence. They could maybe hear the birds again. What a stark contrast. And how startling that must have been for them. No wonder that left them in wonder. I remember seeing some footage um, about the, the hurricanes in Florida. And you saw footage. Isn't it great you have smartphones now? Everything gets filmed. But you saw footage and the guy peeks out the door and he's filming it. And you can see trees literally are flying past. The Cars are, are, are sliding along. The waves, the wind sorry, is battering down. The rain is falling so hard it looks like a waterfall. Could you imagine how astounded we would be if somebody walked out into that and says, be calm, and there was complete calm. We would be asking the question of that person, and it would be shared, and it would be liked, and it would be retweeted. We would be asking the question, what sort of a man is that? And that's the question the disciples are left with here. They're left with wonder and they're left with this question. What sort of a man is that? And I close with this question for us this morning. Who is Jesus? He is the saviour that Matthew tells us of here. Do we have a vision of Jesus that leaves us in wonder? Because that's what Matthew wants us to have. That's why he's sharing this with us do we have one of a saviour who can do the impossible who cares for the details of our lives who enters into the details of our lives and who calls us to follow him not deceiving us not looking to trip us up but because he's revealed himself to us and because we ourselves are left in wonder do we remember that he is powerful and that he actually is in the boat with us metaphorically and every storm we experience as well. The risk is, and I'm sticking with this metaphor for a second, if we don't have a big vision of Jesus, we leave him sleeping at the back of the boat when the storms hit in our lives. And much like maybe the disciples were here, they tried using quotes, they tried throwing water back overboard, they tried everything before they eventually woke Jesus up. We do the same. We struggle, we strain. When they're beside us, waiting Is the one with the power to strengthen us, sustain us and change situations in ways that we couldn't understand. Matthew records disciples that are left in wonder at their encounters of the living saviour, a caring saviour, a powerful saviour. And he wants us, and he wants to show us that too. So that we can grasp hold of the fact that we too have a mighty and powerful saviour as well let's pray Father to say thank you for Jesus seems seems too small a statement to make we confess that we often struggle to grasp just who you revealed to us and sometimes we do forget your love, your interest in our lives and the power that you have. Sometimes we feel we're on our own and we have to struggle in situations on our own. When, as we were reminded earlier by Eddie as well, we can call upon you, we can trust you and we can look and watch and wait and see you act in ways that astound us. So we thank you for these verses that tell us who Jesus is, what Jesus can do. We thank you for the hope that that can give us when we suffer. That there is a God who cares and a God who enters into that suffering with us. Help us as we wrestle with that mystery, Father. For you don't always transform things as we would like. yet we're reminded you are with us nonetheless and working nonetheless. Help us to have a big vision of our Saviour, to be left in wonder by our Saviour, so that we can trust you and so that we're quick to call upon you when the storms of life come. Bless us, Father. And help us to know our Lord and Saviour more and more. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could ask our musicians to come back up. We're going to close.